everyone, and welcome to this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley. And in today's episode, we're actually doing an episode we already recorded, but it was so bad that we could not release it to the public. Danny, what's that episode? I don't episode? know what you're talking about. It was it's, so bad. It was fine. It was it not was... fine. I hated us by the end of it. It was so annoying. Uh, so today we're talking about Carbine Williams. Yay! And how, you know, maybe he wasn't, like, as involved in the M1 carving as people think? Maybe. I mean, he was still involved. Yes. He just maybe isn't as involved as Jimmy Stewart portrayed him to be. Exactly. All right, Danny, you want to start with the story? Sure. Uh, so, the really, this is a story both about Carbine Williams and the M1 carving. Stop and, calling him that. <laughs> but it's it's catchy. Look, it might not be perfect. A perfect description, but it's catchy. And uh, that's David Marshall Williams. David Marshall Williams and the M1 carbine that was or was not part his invention. And uh, of course, the M1 carbine is the firearm that's widely used in World War II, developed at the beginning of the war by Winchester. And while Williams was working at Winchester, and then of course is used for much of the 20th century. And the M2 carbine, one of its derivatives, is sometimes called an early assault rifle. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Danny, like, it's 7.30 my time. You can't go there this early. You can't go <laughs> I there I did that early. just for you. I did that just for you and all the people that will argue with you, but not me somehow. Well, and I think the original episode made the joke about what happens when, what was it, a moonshiner, a Mormon, and, <laughs> and what else? Oh... Oh, the it was based on the Adams family. Crap, I oh, forgot the and joke. And a future TV character. <laughs> yes. Try to design a gun. And so <laughs> let's start with the Mormon. <laughs> so the Mormon involved in this story is um, Jonathan E. Browning, who was a half brother to Jonathan Moses Browning. And we're going to call him Ed. But we're going to call him Ed. <laughs> and so Ed Browning um, had been working on a semi-automatic rifle design uh, in the late twenties and early thirties. And this was a time period where the U.S. Army was looking at their own, sort of evaluating their own rifle choice, what would be the standard issue uh, firearm for the U.S. soldier, which eventually turned into the M1 Garand. But they evaluated all sorts of firearms, um, you know, throughout the 1920s, 1930s, ended up adopting the M1 in 36. Um, but Ed Browning kept working on his semi-auto rifle design and it caught the attention of Winchester and especially Edwin Pugsley at Winchester. That's the future TV character. As the, that's the TV character where that enters the story. And the story on that is that um, Pugsley, Edwin Pugsley is, well, actually you should tell that one. You know it better than I do. Oh, okay. Well, so the, the TV character part of it. Yeah. Okay. So this story is like probably maybe not true. Um, no, I thought House, it was true. It's just the family doesn't. The like family it. doesn't agree that it's true. But um, the Herbert, the late Herbert House, I have to say, um, now um, he had always said that it was true, and that Pugsley had a good relationship with the guy that you know created the Adams family, and that the Pugsley Adams was based on Edwin Pugsley. And if you see pictures of Edwin Pugsley and pictures of Pugsley Adam. Mm, it's a little similar, a little roly-poly, um, precocious kid shooting a... I think I like the story that Herb Dole was like, um, Edwin Pugsley had this story about when he like shot like a crossbow or something in his like house as a kid. Um, and that was like part of the inspiration for the character. So there's a, there's your there's your Adam's family twist. To be clear, the descendants deny it. But, they'd say uh, that that's... That everybody else, that. 
It's not that they deny it. It's that they said that it was never like they never heard their grandfather say anything oh. about it. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, everybody else thinks it's true. Um, well, when I say everybody else, I mean like the five other people that have bothered to investigate it. So <laughs> there's not like everybody. Yeah. But anyways, that's the TV character. So yeah, so Edwin Pugsley um, is working with um, Ed Browning. And so Ed Browning had originally um, submitted his semi-auto design to Colt. That didn't go super well. Um, and then he made some modifications on it, and he produced his G30 for the for Winchester. And one of the problems that was, um, that was happening was that Pugsley wanted uh, Browning to modify the gas system in it, but then Browning dies. Yeah, and... In some ways, it kind of frees up Winchester a little bit because Browning sort of insisted on his gas system and Winchester. They could never get the gun to work quite right. They could get it working, but it was never it was never fully where they needed it to be to actually seriously compete with the M1 Grand. And that's really, based on some of the things that Pugsley has written from this time period and some of the letters between him and Browning, they were really still thinking of this gun as a competitor to the M1, even though... By this point, the M1 had been adopted. Um, there was enough controversy around the M1 that uh, Winchester thought they had a shot at sort of up, upending that. And so did a couple other people, most famously Melvin Johnson, who may have been the instigator to why there was so much controversy, or at least partly the instigator to why there was so much controversy about the M1. And of course, you know, nowadays everybody knows the, the M1 from the patent quote, the greatest battle implement ever devised. And it, you know, helped helped the U.S. win World War II, helped the Allies, all that stuff. But at the time of its adoption, it was it went through like congressional hearings level of controversy. So uh, that's a part of the story that gets left out again in the uh, yeah. Jimmy Stewart telling. <laughs> yeah, so so um, Ed Browning dies, and they Winchester decides to hire a guy with kind of a cloudy, murky, if you will, I'm trying to make it sound like moonshine past. And that is uh, David Marshall Williams. So David Marshall Williams, um, he was working on guns from prison. And the reason he was in prison was because he killed, uh, he was a moonshiner. And on a raid on his moonshine, er, er, on his moonshine, (laughs) on a a raid on his property in 1921, um, he shot and killed uh, Sheriff Jackson Pate. And so he was. Allegedly. Allegedly. So he was sentenced to 30 years in jail. And then the weirdest part of this story, in my opinion, is the fact that, like, like he was so helpful working on the guards' guns. Like, who was letting a murderer work right, on yeah, guns like, in a prison? Like, what is that? It's like, it's almost sort of like they didn't bother to check. They're just like, oh, yeah, Dave over here is real good at, you know, I just call him Dave. Yeah. He's really good at helping, like, fix our guns and stuff. What's he in for again? Oh, murder? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Someone was probably just like, oh, just, you know, moonshining, you know, <laughs> making yeah. that booze. <laughs> so also, I'd like to say that you called, you said you were trying to set the stage for moonshine and you definitely use the words cloudy and murky. And that probably only counts for like mash because I think, I mean, That's moonshine tr- is oh, wow. famous for being very clear. It is very clear. You are correct. I was thinking like just dirty moonshine, you know, like. I shouldn't probably need to, I shouldn't have called you out on that, but it was like sticking in my brain. No, you're actually right. Cause I've got some moonshine sitting in my liquor cabinet and it is very clear. You are correct. I was just, I don't know. Allegedly I thought it was like, sitting in her liquor cabinet. No, it's, it's legal moonshine. Oh. 
So it makes it not cool, <laughs> but um, maybe. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so he's in jail and he's working on these guns and his family and weirdly enough, the widow of Jackson Pate uh, all try to push for his like early release. They're like, he's a super valuable guy and we think that you should release him. And they do. In 1929, and so he's working on guns, trying to get you know into the gun business, and and in walks Edwin Pugsley. Do you want to take it from there, Danny? Sure. Uh, so a couple of design, a couple of the companies, firearms companies that are up in New England, um, actually sort of find out about Williams, um, and you know, of course, he was he was helping you know maintain like the guards guns at while he was in prison and and working on tools and shops but he also got spare time to work on like firearms design and so he took like he took some older firearms and uh, modified the actions and gas systems and a couple of those i think they're in a museum in north carolina that i can't remember the name right now but a couple of his like like literally workshop conversions um are there and that got him enough attention for some of these firearms companies to get wind of it i think remington was one of them uh, but Winchester was just sort of in the loop too. And so Pugsley knew about Williams and uh, brought him into the company sort of in the late 30s. And they have this G30 design that didn't really work. Um, and the thing that Williams is, you know, that he invented really, that's, that's part of the core of the M1 carbine and why I think he has some, you know, standing to say like he helped invent it, um, is the is the gas system. And so they took this Williams what's called the Tappet gas system, which is this much shorter um, gas system than most guns used at the time. And they applied it to Ed Browning's G30 design. And um, that really, that was a really good combination apparently because they, they had this G30 then and the gun worked. Like they worked, it worked like they wanted it to. It was reliable. The Williams gas system really solved a lot of the problems they had with it. And so they had this G30M and about that time was when the controversy with the M1 was building and the army had adopted the M1, but the Marine Corps hadn't selected a new service rifle yet. So the sort of spectators and interested parties realized that there was an opportunity to sort of put these guns head to head and see if the army had just sort of, if the army had adopted the wrong gun and if there was something that out there that performed better and it was, you know, short of Congress ordering them to retest, this was the best chance anybody was going to get to see the guns go head to head. So Melvin Johnson entered his rifle into the Marine Corps uh, test. Uh, the, the, there was an M1 uh, Grand entered the test. There was a 1903 as a control. And then Winchester entered this G30M, uh, which they, the design had been the G30, but once they added the Williams gas system, gas system uh, they updated the name to the G30M. And uh, it actually performed really well at the test. So these are known as the San Diego tests um, in yeah in 1940, and it's it's a lightweight gun. It's lighter than the M1. It's in 30 out six, and uh, it does really well. But the Grand does really well too. So it kind of puts it does well enough that everybody's like, well, maybe it's not the absolute perfect gun, but it's as good as any other semi-auto right now, and it's not worth you know re-adopting and going through the whole process just to switch everything over um, and so eventually the marine corps gets the m1 as well and that's kind of the end of these sort of the service rifle debate but there is a lot of other room for other firearms when world war ii breaks out yeah and so 
the conversation that kind of continues from there is this conversation about a lighter weight gun, something with a smaller cartridge. And so the cartridge conversation is really where Winchester fully enters that picture. I mean, they're talking about the ammunition. And so they're also, they also start talking to the army about creating, um, you know, a prototype for it. And the craziness is that the first test gun that they made for the, this M1 carbine, what will have to become the M1 carbine, they had to do in 13 days. So they had to do it pretty freaking fast. Um, and so they, they worked on that. Um, they got it completed. And then when they moved on to test gun two, um, and then working on some of the kinks and stuff, I mean, Williams was involved in that, but like he was like colorful. Was that polite? That's an extremely polite version of it. Well, and if you believe the Pugsley story, cause a lot of this story is accounted by Pugsley, yeah. um, who was, we think a fairly reliable like company historian, but at the same time, it is, it's his version pretty much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he called Williams a difficult, uh, what did it say? It's like a difficult problem no, or a difficult no, situation. No, that's, that's, like. oh, you're mixing your, your, your eras and your designers, a difficult proposition. That was what Bennett said about Matt Browning. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Sorry. <laughs> but, but Pugsley, Pugsley in this letter that we have, I mean, he really, unleashes about how difficult Williams is. So Williams is working on the second test gun with um, Pugsley, Humiston, and Romer. And he basically um, gets, you know, fed up with it. And so um, they have to, Pugsley, Humiston, and Romer have to finish test gun two, you know, on their own. And they basically come up with the fix on the the first um, test gun, which is basically drilling the gas port. So they come up with test gun two. And meanwhile, David Marshall Williams is like, I'm brilliant. And I'm going to make my own gun at the same time. So he's been working on, you know, a prototype as well. But they have to take testing gun. T- Whoa, it's really early and I need to finish my coffee. They take test gun to to the trials. Um, they get the contract in October by or uh, they win the contract in October. By November, they have the contract and Williams's prototype is ready in December. Yeah. And it's like it, it's there's all these little tidbits from the story. And it's it's really interesting because like. You think going from essentially not having a gun ready to like a gun that could be sent to an army test in 13 days, like that's, that's insane. And we tried to build a museum in nine months. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I think we know a little bit about insane schedules. Yeah. Um, Not to compare like building a, renovating a museum to trying to World War II or anything, but um. Yeah, it's just like, and there's like this one tidbit that Pugsley tells where they're like all like, they just don't know how to get the gun working. And it's like the day before they got to send it off. And like, it's him and Romer and Humiston, like go to a, di- like P- like Williams is like mad at him. So he's like off in his corner working he's on like, it. Man. And they like, it's like Saturday night in New Haven and they can't get this gun to work. And they like go out to a diner and they're like, well, we've tried everything. It's time to drill out the gas port. And they do that and then like that's the thing that was holding them up and it works and they, like rush it off by train since you know that was the way to get around back then it's just I, crazy stories like that i feel like alcohol was involved in coming up with the solution <laughs> you know like where they were like smoking pot or something like you know like so i feel like they needed some kind of creative juices to get them rolling that is not um me making a historical claim that is just me saying some stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's because we've already been talking about moonshine moonshine um, but yeah, it's like this, it's this really abrupt thing and they turn out to win it. And, and then, like you said, Williams went off to do his own thing and 
he turns out a gun, like to his credit, he designs a gun and it's, but it's out a month, like Too over late. a month after yeah. Winchester already won the contract, which is kind of crazy. And even Pugsley's like, Honestly, it's probably a better prototype than we had, but it took too long. Yeah, it it took too long. So, I mean, they still used the gas system that, you know, Williams had designed for the Zen 1 carbine. And so that's really, I mean, the the bulk of where I think a lot of that comes into in the mythology mm-hmm. of him being the guy. But, you know, ultimately there are patents taken out by Williams, or Williams, I almost combined Williams and Humiston. Williams, Humiston, uh, Romer, Pugsy, and Clarkson. Yeah, Clarkson, because Clarkson. Clarkson ended up doing stuff with the. He took the G thirty and did the some of the other stuff with it. And... So they all held patents for this for this gun. Um, mm-hmm. And then, if I remember correctly, I mean Pugsley later. Now Pugsley, like, like we said, you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's Pugsley, like recounting, and I'm sure, and he sometimes like throws shade on other things in Winchester history, but like. Um, you know, he basically says that they probably could have contested some of Williams's patents, you know, for their own. Um, so he really doesn't like. I don't think he would have been a fan of the Jimmy Stewart movie. <laughs> no, I don't think he would have. I mean, he he would have had a chance to see it because I think it came out in the fifties while he was still living. Oh um, man, do you think he do you think he did? Oh man, can you imagine like? Did him and like David Marshall like have a little movie date to like go see the? the I now kind of want to call up his granddaughter and be like, I have a question. Did your grandfather go see? The Jimmy Stewart movie, and was he livid? Was Pugsley even in it? I've never seen it. Um, or was I've, like David Marshall, it once. Was David like, Marshall had, Williams just working alone in a factory by himself, and he was like, Tah. I think is okay. So this is going off like a watch a viewing I did like three years ago of this movie because I was like getting into carbine history and one carbine history, and I was like, all right, I should just watch it just to see because that's what. And really, that like that whole story about like Humiston and Romer. And all of that is that's where it comes in that this isn't just a David Marshall Williams. Like the gas system's obviously a key part of the gun, but there's all these other guys involved. And it probably would have been this obscure, pretty obscure story, like a really niche firearms history story. But Jimmy Stewart does a movie about it because he likes Williams as a figure. And well, as, I mean, you I've, gotta be honest there. Like Williams, like allegedly shoots a sheriff is a moonshiner, works on guns in prison, and then in the TV world develops, you know, one of the greatest, you know, military carbines of all time, you know? Yeah, and so it makes a great great story, like a great Americana story almost. And like... (laughs) I don't know if I would call a moonshiner killing a sheriff and being in prison for a while Americana. (laughs) Um... But it's like, it's moonshine, it's prohibition, it's fight. I mean, that's the way it's portrayed in the movie. So, fight like, the they man. Def- Does he kill the like guy the- in the movie? I can't remember. Spoiler There's alert. a shootout, but I think the, like, it's maintained that he was sort of like not quite in the know. Uh, uh, or like it wasn't his bullet. Maybe he was shooting back, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't it's his like bullet. This, it was a magic a bullet. Great area. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was from a library. It was Lee Harry Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting off topic. In the um, library with a candlestick. <laughs> Now who's mixing metaphors? You're playing Clue in a Texas library repository. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like this story. There's the real version of what happened, and it's pretty clear that Williams shot the uh, shot the sheriff, and that the Jimmy Stewart version, it's a little more grayed out and a little bit 
it's sort of passed over to make it like this patriotic American story. And as I recall, it ends with him like getting out of prison, not like it sort of messes up the timeline too. Cause he like gets out of the prison and he's like, here's the M1 carbine. And like, the end aka, as I recall. AKA they like memory. got too into the early story and then they were like shit this movie's too long <laughs> yeah just, like i tried to do it the works. first time we did this where i like talked way too long about the beginning part and it was like rushing at the end it's very true <laughs> um so yeah so then you know obviously you talked a little bit at the beginning about the kind of proliferation of the m1 carbine um you know in the different wars you know it's you know it gets adopted it's made by you know Ruckola, uh ibm uh, 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 Hillerich and Bradsby, which is the company that makes Louisville Slugger. Um, who else? I'm missing. Oh, you know, General Motors General is like Motors, the biggest producer. National Postal um, Meter. Yeah, uh, Winchester, it, of course. What's What's funny? What I always find funny about this story is the fact that, like, I feel like Winchester's like, it, well, obviously Winchester's like the most important figure in this story, but I feel like Winchester like. Uh, almost gets obfuscated in the history a little bit, yeah. like from your gun guy history. Cause like, I, I think I've told this story before, but like one time I was in the gallery and this guy was like, where is your, uh, it was like general, well, general motors, you know, that one car. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was that. I think it was like the national postal meter one or something. But, and I was like, Oh, well I don't think we have that on display right now, but like right behind you is test gun one, two Williams's prototype and the first production one. And he was so pissed that we didn't have. And I was like, Oh, okay. He was so mad. The, uh, he stormed away from me, and I was just like, "I just showed you better history." <laughs> but it wasn't. I think the like the jukebox slash computer side of the story has almost like it overshadowed stuff for so long that people like because I had an M1 carbine before I knew this story. Like I got one, a uh, like you know, well it's been a long time now, but I have a Rockola M1, and like so I got in the general history of M1 carbines when I got the thing. I was like, oh, this is really cool that it was made by this like jukebox manufacturer. And like, that's all I knew. I, like, that was the cool thing. And yeah. I think for a lot of people, like that, that sort of tidbit, like overshadows the whole convoluted history of this thing. And the fact that it's like, it made it into pop, like pop culture with a, like a pretty well-known movie and all that stuff. And it's just like, oh, did you know, like IBM made carbines once? And like, that's cool. Like, don't get me wrong. That's really cool. But like you said, guys walk in and they walk right past like test gun one and serial number one. And they're yeah. like, well, one million. Oh, wait, million. Winchester made those? Uh, I don't care. IBM. IBM, which like we have to also like say that the first thing you walk by in our museum is a Louisville Slugger and one carving. So we kind of play into that. Right. I mean, it is a cool story, like I said, yeah. but I think it's those, the variety of manufacturers. And it's one of those, it's like the best example or the most accessible example of like all these companies that didn't normally make firearms making guns. Yeah. Um, well, and so, so I think that plays into it too. The other thing that's cool about the M1 carbine is the night vision. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it goes from, it goes from like a moonshiner's shack to like the first night vision. <laughs> right. And that night vision's crazy. It's the biggest fucking yeah. like, like disc on the top with a backpack and like yeah. very, very George Jetson, like or Ghostbusters, I guess. More more Ghostbusters. Um Yeah, it, it's it's I always call it Gen Zero Night Vision, and people seem to like that joke when I give tours. <laughs> Gen Zero Night Vision. And everybody always thinks it's the Vietnam when we show pictures of it, everyone always thinks it's the Vietnam era night vision. Yeah, yeah, everybody yeah, people think it's like that. I think it's called the Starlight Scope that got used in Vietnam. I think but so, yeah. 
but yeah, it showed, I think they, it was in use by the time Okinawa happened, the Battle of Okinawa. So, I mean, the M1 carbine has a, a lot of really rich history. Um, and, and I think we actually didn't suck at this version of it. So I think we can actually let this run. This episode. is a publishable this version a publishable of this episode. episode. But I do want to end on the like just a little fun fact about the prototypes that we discovered when we were designing the temporary exhibit for when we were in the middle of the renovation, which is the fact that um, Tescan 1 and Tescan 2 are uh, NFA designated in our records. Yeah, so there's this debate, some because I think Pugsley writes a little bit about it. Like they're having issues with the triggers at one point, and um, and whether it was going to be select fire or not. And then we're like working on this exhibit, and like both of our guns, these prototypes. Thankfully, Winchester had the foresight to like register the NFA items yes, in their collection. Yes, oh my God. Um, but both of these are registered like NFA things, and we're like, uh, wait a second. Well, and I we think thought these were actually... semi. I think what happened was we were good. We were going to take them to SHOT Show. Oh, yeah, and that's we right. we were going to pull up the file. So, like, we um, we have a person who manages our FFL full-time. So, like, we're not really involved in that part of the process. Um, and so, you know, she makes sure all of our stuff is, you know, correct and everything. And so we, you know, like, I know there, you know, we have our NFA vault and all that stuff. But those have been on display. They were on display again. And we um, went to pull up the record so that we could, like, write our little letter like a month before SHOT Show or something. And I was like, whoa, Danny, why are these NFA designated? Because, you know, they have to fill out the form to get them to cross state lines. And we didn't have enough time for that. Um, and so we, we thought that was really interesting because we, we hadn't, you know, realized it looking at them, you know, um, that they were NFA designated. And so they had the, the select fire capability, which is kind of cool. So, so the, the actual irony of this whole story then is that to talk about the history of the M1 carbine, Instead of taking test gun one and two to this exhibit, we took the Pugsley gun. No, the Williams. Or not the Pugsley, sorry, the Williams prototype. Because it was the uh, only so, one that was semi auto. Because it was the only one that could be taken. So we like had this whole story about how Carbine Williams wasn't the actual full inventor of the M1 carbine, but we're bringing his prototype. It wasn't adopted. Yes. And I still call it his timeout gun. This is timeout. That's I think that's the best name for it. Yeah, we call it his timeout gun because basically, like, it's from the letter that Pugsley writes. I mean, he basically like is such an asshole to everybody that like he gets put in timeout. He's just like, I can't, I can't do it, and so he works on his own project. So it's his timeout gun. And really, like this whole G thirty thing that starts with Ed Browning and has Williams involved and keeps going for like a while after that, that like through World War Two and even like beyond. You know, it's it's basically a scaled down g30 that competes with the ar-15 um yeah later on and like winchester never gave up on this idea that they were like going to upset the standard issue rifle like against all indications like pugsley was like sneaking out with his, the g30m to take it on like private shoots with army generals and stuff like that but all that ever really amount like the thing that came out of it was the m1 well, and, you know, and the other that I did not mention on this one, um, so that we didn't derail ourselves, but, you know, the other, you know, is the G30 also goes into the development that becomes the WAR, mm -hmm. which... And that's what Clarkson did. Like, that's mostly Clarkson's work, I think. I think you're right. Um, but but um, the WAR, which is our automatic rifle, which we won't talk about today, it's just, I'm going to end on the fact that it has the coolest acronym ever. The Certainly the best for any military firearm. Oh, what is it good for? And I think we're going to end on that. <laughs> All right, guys, we will see you in another episode. Bye. Bye.